Welcome to episode three of the Simple to Understand podcast. I am your host, Dean Douglas. My guest today is my good friend, Mitchell Clinton, who goes by the name of Mitch. And he is a Winnipeg Jets reporter. And for those who might not know who the Winnipeg Jets are, they are a professional hockey team who play in the National Hockey League or NHL. And he has the unique opportunity to actually travel with the Winnipeg Jets across North America. In this episode, we lift the veil on what goes on behind the scenes with regards to a lot of the various types of marketing that gets produced and distributed through multiple media platforms. We talk about the evolution of social media and the growing impact it has on large sports franchises, as well as the amount of effort and teamwork that goes into producing a top-of-the-line end product that ends up getting distributed to millions of fans watching around North America and the world. For those of you who might be listening to this podcast for the first time, welcome. The structure I've created for each episode, and this has happened quite organically since my first episode, and it will evolve over time, goes something like this. I want my guests to tell their story with as much detail as possible and their comfortable sharing, starting first with where they were born, and then I do my best to guide their story by asking a sequence of questions, trying to pull out the fun, helpful, and meaningful stories along the way. Eventually, this will lead us to the present day on what they're working on, and we'll wrap up by asking some questions geared towards the future. Simplified, each episode is a past, present, and future look at my guests, and I've structured a longer format podcast, typically an hour and a half and more, so as to provide context and a number of other reasons which I will share over time. So without going into too much detail on who Mitch is, because you'll just have to listen to the episode for the full rich experience of that, uh, here is a short bio on Mitch. Mitch has been around hockey constantly since around five or six years old and has been officiating or refing since 13. His first exposure to broadcasting was after university, where he worked at 730 CKDM, where he got to read sports and newscasts, among many other things. He also played midget double-A hockey throughout most of high school, so as you can probably gather by now, he's a hockey guy through and through. Mitch also has a degree in journalism with a minor in political science, which he attained from the University of Winnipeg, and also a diploma in journalism where he graduated from the Creative Communications program at Red River College. He joined the Winnipeg Jets in November of 2013, originally as their web content coordinator, and this position evolved quickly, as did the rise of digital marketing and social media. Mitch is also one of the hosts of the Winnipeg Jets podcast, Ground Control. Finally, I encourage listeners to stay to the end because when asked, where do you see the NHL heading in the future and things you might want to see corrected, his answer intrigued me and I'm hoping will spark some curious thoughts from you guys. Let me know what you think of his answer along with any other parts of the episode and share your feedback by heading over to www.simpletounderstand.com. Lastly, you can also head over to www.simpletounderstand.com to find the show notes for this episode and any other previous episode. Everything is linked up and packaged nicely on there, so feel free to check that out if there's something that you really took from this episode it should be linked up there so go over there check it out it's for you guys and that's it guys so i hope you enjoy this episode thanks for spending the time with me and mitch and enjoy 
All right, here we go. Mitch, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. This is awesome. We've been, we've been trying to sort out a day that would work, so I'm glad that we finally found one. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Of course. So we are recording this in our basement, which we haven't done before, so hopefully the sound quality is absolutely perfect. I'm sure it'll be good. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be good. So uh, let's just start with uh, telling us where you were born. I was born uh, in Winnipeg, actually, and then I don't really remember too much of Winnipeg as an infant. I'm sure not many people do, but <laughs> when I was uh, when I was about two years old, uh, we moved from Winnipeg to uh, Killarney, Manitoba, which is kind of right down by the uh, by the U.S. border and kind of the Westman area, if you will. Um, I think it was about 20, was it 20 minutes, 25 minutes from like the International Peace Garden, just to kind of give an idea. And then when I was 13, so in 2001, uh, we moved to Dauphin, Manitoba. That's where my parents still live. Uh, And in 2006, the fall, I came back to Winnipeg for school. And uh, now my wife and I and our little dog, Jet, live just outside of Winnipeg. So it's, uh, I've been in and around Manitoba my my whole life. And what's, what's it like living and growing up in Dauphin? Mantle. It was awesome. Uh, one of the main things that I that I really take away from there is uh, I moved there when I was 13. So uh, really at a point in your life as a, I don't know, adolescence, the wrong word, but an early teenager yeah. where you're really kind of starting to form like some bonds with some people. So you're really, you're really close. So then to, to kind of move from Killarney and, and leave the, the core group of friends that I've had since I was uh, a really young guy was tough, but uh I kind of met some people uh, here in Dauphin really quickly. And then I was in uh, grade eight, which was kind of like where the middle school ended in Dauphin. And then you went on to the big school, which was grades nine to 12. And then that kind of combined everybody. Uh, so I met kind of like more, uh, a bigger group of friends there. And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of lucky because this year I was able to go to a wedding uh, for one of my best friends from Killarney, uh, kind of early in the, in October, yeah. and then you know I'm I'm in another wedding coming up in August for a friend uh, here in uh, here in Winnipeg. So it's uh, it's worked out really well. Yeah, nice. And so Dauphin, I think I've been once when I was younger. It's mm-hmm. a big hockey town, like very, rural Manitoba. Yeah, hockey's yeah. a big thing, right? Very. Uh, yeah, there's Manitoba Junior Hockey League team there the, called the Dauphin Kings, and actually. It was because of the radio station that that covers that team uh, that I was able to kind of get my my start uh, doing what I do in terms of broadcasting. Uh, they 7:30 CKDM. They took a real uh, big chance on a guy that uh, to that point was really only you know I had I think maybe a year of university under my belt if that, but no formal uh, broadcasting training. But because I was a local guy, they were kind of willing to take a take a look at me over the summer. Uh, part time, so that was really helpful because I mean I, I got a little bit of uh, you know doing on location work, reading sports casts, reading newscasts, that kind of stuff. Um, but then also Kevin Jeffrey, who was the sports director at the time, he was doing play by play for the Dauphin Kings on the road and at home and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so he just kind of said, "Hey, like when you're when we're around Winnipeg, which the MJHL's got Portage, they got the Winnipeg Blues, they got Selkirk, number of teams." Uh, he was like, when, whenever the team is around Winnipeg, w- would you want to just come on and do some color commentary, which I had never done in my life, uh, but was really interested in it. And, you know, thanks to him for giving me the, the chance to do it. And we had a lot of fun doing that. And then 
by the time I was done my time at Red River College in 2010, uh, the Dauphin and the Dauphin Kings were, were hosting the national championship, the Royal Bank Cup in 2010. Uh, so that was really, really neat. And uh, luckily, Kevin and CKDM had me back to do pre and post games. So uh, it was a lot of work, but it, I mean, I wouldn't have any of the opportunities I do now if I didn't have that shot way back when in that one summer. So uh, you talk about how, uh, how important Dauphin was to my upbringing. I mean, it was basically where everything started for me. Yeah. And for, though I'm not too familiar with hockey, so this is good because yeah. the whole premise of podcast is making things that I don't really understand and trying to make them simple for to sure. understand for everyone else. So, uh, like, I'm familiar with Brandon Weekings. Yep. Is that the same level or in terms of, like, what it's a little bit Dauphin? I would say it's a little bit different. <laughs> so the, the WHL is where the Brandon Wheat Kings play. Uh, they're part of the Canadian Junior Hockey League, I guess, or, or the CHL as they're called, yeah. uh, which includes the WHL where the Wheat Kings are, the OHL at, out of Ontario, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Uh, usually what will happen is uh, players will try to get into that league first, whether it's even as young as, I believe it, you can get into some of these leagues as young as 15, but you got to get a real special exempt uh, from Hockey Manitoba, uh, Hockey uh, Canada, to be able to do that, um, but most players, especially if they're if they're really good, get in at around 16, 17. Some get in at about eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the players that maybe don't get into the the Western Hockey League, Ontario Hockey League, QMJHL, uh, the next the next way to get into that would be the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, where the Kings are. Uh, for Dauphin, uh, Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. Pretty much every province across uh, Canada has kind of like a, a Junior A Hockey League, if you will. Okay. And the Western Hockey League and, and where the Wheat Kings are is known as Major Junior. So it's a, it's a little bit of a step below, but there are still so many opportunities uh, to either go from that Junior A League up into the WHL. There's been number of players that have done that mm-hmm. and also uh, another good thing about kind of junior a leagues like the mjhl is the opportunity to uh earn your way into uh ncaa commitments or uh you uh what do they call it now U sports not cis i was going to call it cis but uh <laughs> to play for teams like the university of manitoba and, and and stuff like that so regardless of what level of hockey you get into uh from from high school I mean, you, you have the opportunity to take it to whatever level you want. So, uh, yeah, the Dauphin Kings are kind of, I would say, just like a, a shade below like the WHL, but the age ranges for both leagues are, are uh, roughly the same. Yeah. And did you play hockey in Dauphin? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I played, uh, I was lucky because I knew pretty early on that I wasn't going to be one of those people going to any of those leagues. Um, I love to play the game. I, I love to kind of like being in a dressing room around the team and, uh, just everything that came along with being uh, a young hockey player, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I knew very early on it wouldn't it wouldn't really be my, my full career. Um, I did want to be around the game, but I didn't think I would be playing it. Yeah. Um, so I played I played midget double A throughout most of high school, and then I played my final year in grade twelve. I played high school hockey, um, and then I was involved in officiating the game since I was 13 till I was about 21 or 22 and then I kind of just got out of it uh mostly because I was getting really busy with with university and school and my job starting and everything like that around that time so 
I just kind of something had to go and it had to be that unfortunately but because I, I did enjoy it um, obviously you get every every official everywhere has a hockey parent story but it, it is what it is it's one of the things that makes the game great is how kind of passionate everybody is about it uh, so yeah I've been around the game of hockey constantly since I kind of started playing I think I started playing when I was five or six back in Killarney and wow just loved it ever since. Yeah. And officiating, is that refing? Yeah. Is that refing again? Yeah. yeah. So, like, there's, you can be, uh, you can be either what we would call the, the head man or the referee, which is the, the guy that's got the orange bands on that calls the penalties and uh, majority of that. Or you can be a linesman, which is the guy that uh, is kind of in charge of icings, offsides, and breaking up scrums in front of the net, which is always a, always a fun part. So, I, I found I was a better. Uh, linesman that I was a, a head a head official, but that's just kind of it. Was just kind of became my preference. Yeah. Um, mostly because going going into scrums, I mean, I'm six four. I'm, I'm not I'm not yeah, I'm not <laughs> not thick by any means, but uh, I'm six four, so I got the reach that I can go in there and separate some guys if I have to. So yeah. But I do remember uh, the first time that I was ever doing um, kind of like uh, being a linesman for an MJHL level. So like the Dauphin Kings have their camp and then they have their inner squad game, which kind of determines the final few guys that make the spots okay. on the roster. And that was kind of my first taste of, uh, officiating at that level. And I remember I went to go break up my first, uh, actual gloves on the ground fight. And usually with minor hockey, as soon as the, you know, the officials get in there and get their hands on them and kind of start to tug the players pull away and that's it. They're all, really just trying to be tough I guess not this time yeah I was yeah I was in the exact same position at that age too so but then so I go to break up this fight at at this inter-squad game and I go to pull and they're not moving (laughs) (laughs) and I'm just like okay then we got a problem these guys have been working out all summer they're not yeah they're they're not coming apart very easily so I had to throw a little bit of weight behind it and finally they kind of came apart but that that just kind of shows I mean the guys that do it at, at the highest level, I mean, they're they're pulling apart athletes that are a really wanting to go at each other, and b have been working out constantly, so they are in incredible shape. So the the officials have to be as well. Yeah, for sure. And did uh, so you went to high school in Dauphin, yeah. and then you moved to Winnipeg, to Winnipeg after yeah. high school. Yeah, and was that what was the main reason for that? Oh, uh, just for school. For school. Uh, yeah. So I started at the university of Winnipeg, uh, in the fall of 2006 and did two years there and then went to Red River college in the creative communications program to do kind of all my, uh, broadcasting and journalism, uh, PR kind of that, that kind of stuff, education. Uh, and then one of the big things that my mom and I kind of talked about throughout high school and even throughout university as impatient as I was with the process, uh, was I needed, I wanted to finish with some sort of a degree. Um, so as good as the, the program at Red River was at, at the time that I graduated in 2010, the best you could come out of there with was a major in journalism, which was good. And I mean, you're, you're pretty much work ready, uh, when that program is done. Uh, but I really wanted a degree. And so to do that, I had to go back to UW for another, for one more year, which I always said was really tough because you start, I started doing two years of university and you're writing 10 to 15 page papers on anything under the sun, which is fine. That's kind of the way that they do things there. And I learned about to write about other things other than sports. So like I ended up with like a a minor in political science as well. Mm don't quiz me on anything political science because I can't remember any of it. Uh, but 
at the time I could, I, I really knew a lot about kind of the history of politics in this country. And then you go into Red River and you learn everything that it takes to put on, whether it's a newscast like CTV does or something like Sports Center, or you learn everything about advertising campaigns, PR uh, related uh, information, just all that kind of stuff. And from a, for a journalist standpoint, which is what I was mostly interested in, you learn how to write real concise stuff. I mean, whether you're working for uh, a newspaper where you got 400 words and you got to pick your best 400, you know what I mean? Um, you learn how to do that. So to go from writing, you know, those four to 800 word uh, articles to go back for one year to go back right into 15 page papers again, it was a little bit of an adjustment and it wasn't, I wasn't super thrilled about going back and having to do that. But in the end, you know, I ended with a, a joint degree in communications. So I'm just glad I, I'm glad I have it. I'm glad it's done. Uh, it was really, it was a really tough decision to go back and do it, to finish it. But I knew it was something that was important uh, to get done and get not necessarily out of the way, but just have, have all the education that I needed done. And that way I could kind of focus on the career that was ahead. Yeah. And for the CreeCom program, because you and I both went to Red River, but yep. I went into business, majored in marketing in my second year. Mm-hmm. And so I know for, and I didn't hear about CreeCom until I think it was after my first year. And yeah. I was like, oh, that sounds like a great program. Yeah. And I know it's hi- highly competitive. Very. Uh, it, there was a waiting list to get in at the time. I think yeah. I graduated in 2011 or 2012. So around the same time as yeah. when you graduated. So what's the first year and then the second year? Is the first year you dabble in Pretty everything? much. Yeah. yeah. They, want, they want you to get a taste of everything. And I, even since I graduated in 2010, I mean... It's kind of weird to think that it's been nine years since I graduated from there. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the program has definitely evolved uh, since I've been there. But um, I know I can speak to kind of the, the experience that I had when I was there. So the first year, you pretty much took courses in advertising, PR, journalism, and what we called broadcast at the time, but I believe is now called multimedia production. Yeah. Um, just so that you could get your feet wet everywhere and you were you kind of had the basic skills to be kind of a well-rounded employee kind of in the communications area. But it also gave you a taste of exactly what all this stuff is about. Because I know I went in uh, with an idea of what journalism was, but it took taking a few courses to kind of understand exactly what it really was. You know what I mean? And And in what capacity you wanted to go. Yeah, for sure. And like even just the high level, and this wasn't just journalism, this was everything uh, involved with the program, like things like, and stuff you wouldn't even think of. So say like Tim Hortons, is there an apostrophe? Yes. Or is there no apostrophe? Mm. You know what I mean? So like, you don't, you don't even think about it. You have, you have it in front of you and you're just looking at it. And the way that, uh, Crecom worked was since that's a proper name, it's a business name, one that you can't really, really afford to have wrong in your piece it would become an instant auto fail if it was wrong. So what it does is it drills into you to A, double check, uh, but B, it also drills in, and I'm pretty sure I still remember it does not have an apostrophe. Mm-hmm. So just little things like that, like it's just, that's that's the kind of level that they expected out of their students. But that's why it's such a program that I think was, was so sought after. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to get into it my first year out of high school um, and didn't get in. Um, and then I reapply after my first year at university and was lucky enough to get in. Um, but they allow you to defer 
Uh, so I deferred one year so I could go back to UW and get my second year under my belt and maybe get a little bit more prepared. Mm. Uh, and that was important because it ended up being a really smart decision just for, just to be able to, like I said, write about a bunch of different things. Um, and then the, so then the second year of creative communications, you pick your major. So for me, it was journalism. Mm. Um, what are the other majors? There remember? was, yeah. Advertising is another one, uh, public relations and, uh, media production. Okay. So media production focused primarily on everything behind the camera. Uh, not even just, not even just shooting. Um, a lot of it was about editing, uh, the different spots that are in the studio for like newscasts and all that kind of stuff. Um, and even putting together things like documentaries, which is a very different shooting style than uh, shooting for news. Uh, so yeah, the, it kind of gave students a, a whole different uh, perspective on what, what that can really be. And even guys that I, that I went to school with now um, are off to, to doing like documentary shoots and stuff. And some of the places that these people have ended up just to, to do this stuff is, is so interesting. Um, yeah, so then you, you can, uh, you can pretty much major in any of the four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I chose journalism obviously, and I've been happy with, with the, with the decision. One of the cool, the coolest days for me in that program. And, and I know it's evolved since I've been there, uh, was we had a, we called it live at five. That was Thursdays, uh, where we would, you know, have our story meeting in the morning and just combine the journalism and broadcast majors and you'd be paired up there'd be some people like there'd be two people one week that would be like the anchors there'd be one that would be the sports anchor one that would do weather just to kind of get a taste of what that's like and then everybody else would be kind of paired up and you'd go out you'd shoot your story voice it write it put it together and your deadline was 3 30 or 4 o'clock and then at 5 we would be live online just, you know, you, you, there would be a link that your parents could watch and all that kind of stuff. And you would do an actual newscast in the studio that's in the in the Princess Street campus. So that was always my favorite day. It was a long day. It usually started at eight and you'd end at six uh, after the show was done. But it was really cool. And I, by, the, by the second year, it was awesome because I had Fridays off. So I could have the really long day on Thursday and uh, take Friday to either catch up on homework or whatever, go home for the weekend, like anything like that. So uh, yeah, I, I used to really love Thursdays in second year. It was, it was great. Yeah. And then you did one year after at U of W. Yeah. So what yeah. made you want to get into journalism even pre going to U of W? Well, it was when I was young. I mean, I, I was, I'd get up in the morning and I'd watch TSN every morning and I always wanted to be that guy, you know, the guy that was on at the desk. Um, so eventually I found out exactly what I would need to do that. So like, I, like I I was lucky all through high school and everything like that. Just, I knew exactly what I wanted to do so I could gear everything in high school toward that. And then that being said, even when I got to university, you know, you, you really don't understand how many options there are out there until you get there. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, Oh, marketing sounds kind of cool. I never really thought about that. You know what I mean? And then, or you could, for me, I took a couple of courses in kinesiology just because I'm, I like to pretend at least I was an athlete for most of my life, you know, like, <laughs> um, so I, I really was interested in, in, in learning things behind like theories behind coaching kids and coaching athletes and what that's all like. And 
So I took a little bit, a little bit of courses in that. And that kind of piques your interest a little bit more maybe in that direction. And it's interesting, even for a guy that was as committed to one uh, type of uh, career as I was, even I was just like, Oh, this is neat. This is neat. So that's why I'm always like when, when people go to university, like my sister, like she went, I believe she started going to university for music therapy and then she took some courses in it and she's like, okay, well, this is all right. It's not exactly what I thought, but then now she's a psych nurse in North Battleford and loves it, but but never would have thought about psychiatric nursing until she got there and learned what it was all about and found that's where her true passion was. Right. So I always say I've, I've always been really uh, fortunate that 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 I knew what I wanted to do and that career path never really changed but because of kind of the experiences that I had I'm, I'm always just like well even if you go to university and you have this you have an idea of it just keep your mind open because you never know what path could end up piquing your interest yeah no that's good advice I know last the previous gentleman that I had on my podcast, uh, Scott McKenzie, my uh, brother-in-law, he, him and I talked about different, the differences between university and college and the different routes that like people take the pros and cons of both university obviously being more theory based, college being more practical hands-on that one day, like on the Thursday, that's real life. (laughs) Yeah. And that's real life, right? Like you, you do that in when you're working in that uh, profession. Yeah, so that's exactly that's awesome experience. Um, and so after college, yeah. so you grad or sorry, after university, you get your degree. Yeah. Um, t- tell me about like the different opportunities that you were wanting to explore. Mm. Obviously, you mentioned TSN was one yeah. area. So. So just walk us through the next kind of yeah. Steps. It was uh, really glamorous. It was four months of nothing after that. <laughs> <laughs> I was not. Uh, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's different because, like I said, you feel so work ready and everything, but you know the opportunities just because in and around that time and, and even to this day the, the media landscape continues to change so much. Um, I I applied for a number of things in a number of different cities and but nothing was really coming together. And, uh, just a, a place that I ended up doing an internship with at uh, Shaw TV Winnipeg was looking for a sports reporter. And obviously they were somewhat familiar with me cause they worked with me about a year earlier and, uh, figured I'd be a good fit. And I kind of threw my name in there as the guy that maybe wouldn't have as much experience, but I think I, I was basically on the premise that, listen, I could be molded, <laughs> you know, you tell me what you want and I can, pretty much doing so I was lucky to start with them in September um and really from there it uh they they taught me a lot there I, there was one reporter there by the name of uh Kim Babbage that uh I worked with a lot during my internship but she was still there while I started working there and uh she had done some sports as well uh so she kind of knew uh, her way around the, the broadcasting uh, area from how Shaw did things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I there I did everything from uh, just covering regular everyday stories in, in Winnipeg about different athletes uh, to live broadcasts of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, especially during their, their 2012 season, which was awesome because they won uh, the league championship that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really cool to be a part of. 
um, hosted my own sports show and like that's all this stuff I had ever really done before outside of college but it was cool to be able to do it at that level and to learn everything that goes into it and, and making sure you were able to put together a good product every every day and and even on top of that I did some things that weren't sports so like we went out to festival one time the whole crew that I think there was one two three four five reporters uh, we all just kind of went out there, covered a different aspect of Festival, and so I got got to experience that. Uh, myself and another reporter, Jay Williams, we jumped into ice cold water for the polar bear dare a couple of times. <laughs> that was an experience. <laughs> was that during Festival de Voyager? Uh, no, it was, I think it was a month before. It was out in Lac du Bonny, I remember. But I remember us both jumping in there and then just making a beeline for the hot tub. and. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's a weird feeling because when, you, when you're in that really cold water, you're just like, I got to get out of here. And then you get out, you get in the hot tub, and then it is like about 10 seconds later, it is the best feeling ever because your body is like so relaxed. Yeah. And so I don't know if it's got something to do with cold into the hot or anything like that, but it is something else. So basically with Shots TV Winnipeg, I covered everything from jumping in ice cold water to baseball championships to everything in between. So... It was uh, it was extremely helpful because you like we we talked about with Red River, you just keep you're you're more well rounded. You're just able to to cover anything and everything uh, whenever whenever it, whenever the need is. Well, you get that breadth, right? Yeah, and you yeah you got to. Exp- so we're in the when you jumped in the water in yep. Lac de Bonny, is yep. that just the is there like the lake yep. in Lac de Bonny? Yep, they just cut a big hole in it. <laughs> And uh, I believe the funds went to kids' sport, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you had to raise a certain amount of money yeah. uh, to be able to, to jump in the lake. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was, yeah, they just cut a big hole in it. <laughs> it's, it's, down you go. It's the weirdest feeling ever to just be standing there and you're like, I'm, I am doing this in my own free will. <laughs> and then you go. <laughs> you go. But yeah, they, like, yeah. they were good about it. Like they kind of give you the, the rundown of like, okay, so... If you are in trouble, this is what you do. This is the main thing to focus on when you jump in there. They're just like all the air is going to want to leave your body, so just be calm. Like you're, yeah. As long as uh, as long as you're expecting all that stuff to happen or, or to be aware of it, usually it's not that big a deal. And they're they got personnel there to help you out if you need. So they they try they make it as safe as as humanly possible. And the water's not that deep. Like I remember you jump in and I like. Like I said before, I'm six four, so I could pretty much touch anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but where they were, I think I, I would stand up, and the water was in around my my chest. So okay, lots of room. Good. And yeah, you wouldn't get pulled with like some under. No, under no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. My guess is they they look into that pretty extensively just to make sure. And yeah. Yeah. So like it was it was fun though. I always tell people that like as much as as crazy as it sounds it's worth it for the 10 seconds later in the hot tub. Don't do it if it's not at a sanctioned <laughs> event. But uh, yeah, if it's at uh, something like that, I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, sounds fun. It's like a bare bones Nordic ther- yeah, thermal experience, exactly. right? Yeah, 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 good way to put it. Yeah, nice. And then, uh, so you did Shaw TV for Two years. But two yeah, years. I think it was like two years and one month or something like that. Like it was pretty... Uh, yeah, it felt like I learned a ton, so it didn't feel like a like a long time because every day I felt like I was learning something different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then uh, when the opportunity with the with the Winnipeg Jets popped up, it was 
I mean, given the fact that they had just kind of come back within within two seasons of that, I mean, I, I was I was happy to kind of have the the opportunity afforded to me to 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 join in at that point because they were a team that while they'd been there for a couple seasons you know obviously there was a ton of passion around them but they were it felt like they were just kind of starting to build uh toward uh some of the great things that that have happened over the last five years so um yeah when I got the call that I was coming in even for an interview I was jacked up about it so so that so you were at Shaw TV until what year uh 2013 it would have been uh I think I went through October and then I joined the Jets November 2nd of 2013. 2013. And when did the Winnipeg Jets come back to Winnipeg? The announcement was May 31st, 2011. And then that that they were coming, uh, that the purchase had been made by by True North. And then, uh, yeah, so then there was the 2011-2012 season, then 2012-13, then... Yeah, 2011, 2012, and then 2012, 13. Yeah. And then, yeah, I got in to what would have been the start of the 13, 14 season. So start of the third season. Yeah. And because this is a podcast and could be picked up by somebody outside of Canada, yep. I'm going to ask you a funny question because we are in Winnipeg. Sure. For those who don't know about the Winnipeg Jets, maybe... Give sure. a background on who the Winnipeg Jets are for those who, believe it or not, there are people in this universe yeah. that, that don't know. About yeah, the no, it's Jets. all good. Uh, so the Winnipeg Jets are a team in the National Hockey League, uh, one of 31, soon to be 32 with Seattle coming uh, in a couple of years time. But uh, anyway, so the, the big connection between Winnipeg and the Jets stems back to before I was born, I, like I'm even still learning a bunch of uh, a bunch of stuff about the. They played in the WHA, the World Hockey Association. I believe that was back in the '70s. And then the reason there's there's so much passion for the team, uh, even outside of the fact that you know they're in Canada and hockey's one of the big, if not the biggest sport in this uh, in this country. Uh, was the team left in 1996? Um, and around that time, uh, the Canadian dollar was kind of all over the map against the U.S. And uh, so it obviously cost more money to run a team in, in, uh, in Canada. And despite some, some great efforts by both, I believe, the National Hockey League and the uh, ownership involved and, and groups involved here in Winnipeg, uh, it just wasn't feasible to keep the team here. So they moved uh, off to Phoenix. And I think that left kind of a big, huge void here for a while. But uh, the, a lot of credit goes to uh, to Mark Chipman and, and his and his group with, uh, I believe it was, I can't remember, like, I don't know exactly if they were still called True North at the time. But anyway, they, they made sure they brought uh, the IHL uh, to Winnipeg as quickly as they could to get hockey back uh, in Winnipeg, professional hockey back in Winnipeg. And they started out with the Manitoba Moose and kind of built that franchise. And then kind of the next step was uh, the building of uh, MTS Center, now Bell MTS Place in downtown Winnipeg. It's kind of a part of a big downtown revitalization that they got going. And uh, the Moose continued to get better and better and better. They were the uh, American Hockey League affiliate of the Vancouver Canucks. So players would get called up to the NHL from the Moose to the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, 
there was one season, I believe, I want to say it was 2008 or 2009 that the Manitoba Moose made it all the way to the American Hockey League final. So that was, that was cool. Uh, I, I think it was, yeah, it was during my college year. So it was definitely either 08 or 09. Um, yeah, so they, they kind of became uh, part of the Winnipeg uh, community and, and part of the fabric of Winnipeg was the AHL team. And then, you know, it, and I've heard Mark talk about it uh, to the media a number of times, just the fact that they ran that franchise as, as if it was a National Hockey League team. Um, and that was, that was really important to them because they wanted to, to show the NHL that, you know what, this... This is professional hockey that we have in Winnipeg, and we're going to treat it that way regardless of if, you know, it's the American Hockey League or the National Hockey League. This is what we're capable of doing. And, you know, so when the opportunity came up to to purchase the Atlanta Thrashers, I think uh, the National Hockey League kind of had Mark on speed dial because they're like, you know, look at these, look at the good things that they're doing here in Winnipeg. And then boom, 20, May 31st, 2011, it's all done. And they're coming back. So... And that that was huge. I mean, I remember being, I was working for Shaw TV kind of at the, not at the time of the announcement, but by the time the team was back, uh, I was working for Shaw. And I remember we were doing what we call streeters, uh, which is you just kind of walk the the streets in and around uh, many of the parties that were surrounding the home opener that year. And you just ask random fans for their you know, their memories of either whether it's the old Jets or what they're looking forward to this year. How does it feel to have them back? And just being kind of part of that excitement was was awesome. And to see it, to see the home opener live was incredible. Like I've, there's only a few times I've heard the rink like that. Did you go to the home I opener? I did, yeah. So the very first game back? Yeah, I was there. And uh, it's I funny because between uh, Bell MTS Place and City Place through the Skywalk, there's a huge like mural on the wall uh mural is probably the wrong word it's like they've blown up a photograph really and i can completely pick out where i was where i was sitting at the game mm-hmm. because I, I was wearing a light blue dress shirt and i'm taller than pretty much anybody else <laughs> so I, I could totally point out exactly where i was and of course winnipeg lost the game 5-1 but uh to montreal but i mean they got cheered off the ice <laughs> just because they were back right so yeah um yeah it was just it was something to really really cool to be a part of and that's that's kind of what the team means to this city like it's uh a lot of the players i know that that come here that's something that they like you know playing in front of this 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 fan base here in winnipeg is something that they they cherish and they definitely don't take for granted in that room so mm-hmm. it's uh yeah it's cool to kind of be I don't want to say a part of it because I'm not a player, but just being able to be around it as often as I am is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely one of the strongest communities of like just the support that Winnipeg gives to its hockey team is, uh, unbelievable. It's, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And are we also, is Winnipeg the city that started way back before 1996 before they left they started the whiteout yes yeah so like well whether I, if memory serves me correctly and I, and I I wouldn't have been very old when it when this happened but I know back in the day the when it, the the Jets had a rivalry with whether it was Edmonton or Calgary is is who their bigger rivalry with at the time um, 
is, is up for debate. But one of the things that Calgary used to do is the sea of red. So in the playoffs, they all wear red. Um, and I believe there was a playoff series between the two teams and, you know, they were looking for a way to kind of counteract that. So, and I, I don't remember who came up with it. There was a video that we played in game. I think it was last year that kind of talked about the start of the whiteout and everything. And it kind of was just like, you know, everybody's got a, everybody's got a white shirt. Yeah. Just bring it. <laughs> and, you know, so like, it's, it's brilliant when you think about it. Um, so yeah, they just people just started wearing white, and then I mean, there's you look at the the whiteout that we had um, in during the playoff run last year, and people are wearing either all white suits or they're just wearing white shirts or they're just buying some of the the stuff that's available at Jets Gear. Like there was a a variety. Some people wearing bed sheets, like it's whatever you got, <laughs> and it, yeah, it just creates such a such a cool look in that rink, and uh, so. I believe that's how it started way back when was just, it was kind of like, well, let's counteract that sea of red with, with a white out. And that's, and that, and then I think when the jets made the playoffs again for the first time since being back, that was in 2015. It was, it was so cool because I had never like seen one live. Yeah. Um, you would see like the highlights and stuff like that of the old Winnipeg arena and everything. But yeah, to actually see it in person and like, just the crazy atmosphere it creates and like when the when the jets score in that atmosphere it is unbelievable so. yeah and they also gave out at every seat because i went to that game as yeah. well and they gave white little towels yes and i've been to uh pittsburgh to see uh nfl game oh yeah and they yeah. have the crazy towel and they yes. wave it around and same the yellow thing towel. yeah the yellow towel yeah. and yeah. to have the white out with the uh the white towels was quite the combo it's spine tingling <laughs> when i think about it <laughs> it it's is awesome. for sure so you started in what was what was your role when you started with the jets yeah so my role's kind of evolved uh, it's it's been the same, but it's evolved. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I started out. My title was uh, web content coordinator. I think is what it was. Okay. Um, because covering a hockey team uh, for the team uh, and through the website and through social media was just kind of building at that yeah. point. It was very much in its infancy still, and. So I would basically, part of my job was social media, like the live tweeting of games and stuff like that. The other part of it was writing player profiles, uh, doing player interviews, and that was, and then keeping the website up to date. There were two of us that did that. Mm -hmm. And then as, as it kind of grew, like, so we would, the other part of it would be we would write kind of these bigger features for the in-game magazine that mm -hmm. fans could get when they, when they came to the rink. Mm -hmm. And then as, as it grew and the digital uh, world kind of continued to get bigger, whether it's social media, including now Snapchat and then Instagram stories, and then, you know, they just got that part got bigger and bigger. And then what the website was capable of doing got bigger and bigger. Uh, we kind of started to realize we needed more uh, help. So at the beginning of, it would have been last season, we went from two to four people. And then my title changed to just simply Jets TV reporter. Mm -hmm. um, 
where my job basically is covering the team on a daily basis, uh, writing updates from practice, pregame skates, postgame uh, reports, um, doing some on-camera stuff as well for similar for similar reasons. Um, sponsored pieces like uh, we used to have one called Ask a Jet, where basically fans would could submit uh, questions about any player, and especially ones that we you know, recently acquired through trade or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they could send questions in and we would, you know, if we chose their question, they'd get 50 Jets reward points, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just my job. Uh, in addition to, to some website website stuff as well. And then we hired uh, Jamie Thomas, who's, uh, who's kind of our Jets TV host, because what we were adding on to our coverage was uh, live pre and post game shows. Uh, for every home game and so those are still going by the way uh, those are on winnipegjets.com the app twitter facebook and youtube okay so uh, that's so when uh, I'll travel I would say so far it's, it's seemingly the majority of the games because the other part of Jamie's job is hosting uh, various kind of corporate events at, uh, at Bell MTS Place so mm-hmm. That leaves him a little bit more free to do stuff like that, like the gala dinner and, and all those kinds of things, yeah. um, which are important as well. So he he handles the majority of those, and then I'll handle a bit more of the, the road responsibility. But even still, being able to kind of split that a little bit with him is, has been helpful mm-hmm. uh, just for uh, making sure that we don't burn out or anything like that. Yeah. And then behind the scenes, yeah, we, we hired another extra guy that can shoot, edit, um, and then also kind of run the the actual show itself because it is a it is a big production to run that those pre and post game shows because um, like for a little behind the scenes look uh, during the post game shows so Jamie will be sitting at the desk talking about whether it's highlights or something from the game mm-hmm. uh, I'm in the dressing room with uh, one usually the guy's name is Daniel. Uh, we're in there kind of shooting the post-game interviews. Daniel's wearing a backpack. That's called a DeGero. Okay. So what it does is whatever the camera shoots feeds into the DeGero and then over a kind of a wireless signal gets sent back to where Tyler is sitting there doing the show so he can see the interview pop up, but he can't hear anything because so he's listening to Jamie. So, so I, after the interview's done, I literally text him and say, yeah, it's good to go, like no audio issues, no nothing, like good to go. And so he'll tell Jamie that we're good to go. Jamie will say, here's a post-game interview, and up it goes, literally seconds after it happened. Wow. Yeah, so like that's, we do that. We usually do about three post-game interviews, and then uh, Paul Maurice kind of has his own like little press conference area that uh, he does his stuff in, and then once Tyler sees him pop up, kind of the same thing happens, and away it goes, and it's... um, so it's been cool, like just to kind of see where where things started with to now we have the four people that I mentioned, plus I rarely touch social media anymore because it's so big yeah. that we've we've got a guy, uh, his name's John Delaney, that uh, handles the majority of that. And uh, he's kept busy every single day. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's it's been cool to kind of see how our team is, has grown. Uh, both on the ice and then obviously with uh, with how we do our th- our work. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, Paul Maurice is the, the coach. head coach of the head coach. Yeah. Yes. Okay. 
And then, so social media probably, well, it has, it, it's evolved and it's changed since you've began. Yeah. And what profile social media platforms did you start with and that it's got to at this yeah. point? Yeah. So for the, the main one for us, uh, way back when was, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, when I started with the team, had like kind of just got going. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of the, the three main ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of the teams in the NHL already had those prior to prior, like Twitter and Facebook for sure. Yeah. Prior to us getting into the league yeah. in 2011. So we were kind of starting behind the eight ball. And as much as there was like a surge right at the beginning of people following because we were a new team and, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, it still takes a while to continue to build yeah. uh, to be to get to the level that whether it's Toronto or Montreal or any of those teams, even now they're over a million wow. uh, followers, which is there's there's only a few National Hockey, Hockey League teams that are at that level. Um, and like teams like Toronto and Montreal, of course, have the, the history and the population base and all that to kind of have a little bit of an edge there. But yeah, uh, we're still doing our best every day to, to kind of get there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it started with those three for sure. And then kind of as the years went on, Snapchat became a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Snapchat stories are something that we have to add to. And then Instagram stories followed shortly after that. Now Facebook stories are also a thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's a lot of those platforms, uh, fall, uh, into John's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he does a really good job uh, in terms of just not only managing it all because what he's getting not outside of the content that he's just, you know, whether it's taking a photo and putting it on Instagram, outside of all that stuff, he's getting fed, uh, whether it's sponsored and corporate info that he's that he has to get out, which is important. Uh, he's also getting fed content from us. Uh, usually every single day of the week, uh, if unless there's an off day. Uh, He's got at least three interviews from the room, plus coaches' availability to put up, plus whatever we write or shoot that day from a coverage standpoint. And then it's just outside of that, there's still more stuff that I'm sure I even I don't know about. So uh, he's got a lot to keep straight. Uh, and that's just on the Jets account, right? So the, the other thing that he kind of keeps an eye on or assists with when, when, when necessary is... We still have the Manitoba Moose and the AHL playing out of the same building. There's Bell and TS Iceplex. There's the foundation. There's there's a number of accounts that uh, that kind of he has to keep an eye on um, on the marketing side of things. How do you know how many? How many accounts? Uh, off the top of my head, that he's managing roughly. Well, the Jets one. Take? The Jets one is is primary for sure. Yeah, and then I believe he just kind of assists with or keeps an eye on. I would assume the Moose one. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of the, maybe a little bit the foundation. A lot of them kind of, a lot of those other accounts have people that are kind of in charge of it. Mm-hmm. But I think when it comes to things like analytics and stuff, him, John, as well as uh, our director of digital, uh, Andrew Wilkinson, will kind of be the ones compiling the stats mm-hmm. uh, just for whether it's presentation reasons or, or what have you. So Yeah. A lot of people don't realize uh, or think of this if they haven't had 
the ability or they don't need to manage that many yeah. accounts is that each platform is different. So you don't want to just share the same yeah. picture, video, and comment across all platforms because there's different people using different platforms, yep. right? Yeah, exactly. And even for things like uh, even for things like video. Yeah. Um, so what we do normally is we'll put uh, the videos up live, not live, sorry, uh, the videos up in their entirety mm-hmm. on Twitter. So if people want to watch them, they can. If they you know, want to click the link and instead go to the website, they can. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a difference in even how we do that across all the mediums. So yeah. on Twitter, every single one will go up bec- as long as it's under... 10 minutes because I think that's the that's the time limit that Twitter allows you um, every single one will go up just because you're constantly feeding that beast because it's just rolling over on itself uh, in terms of just the sheer amount of content that's out there Facebook's a bit different uh, I believe John just picks one that is either particularly engaging or seems to that he thinks will do the best and then that one will play on your timeline but he just links to all the other ones. Mm-hmm. So if you want to see Paul Maurice, he doesn't happen to be that feature video, click here, away you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on, on Instagram, we really don't even put any interviews because it's not, it's not the best for that, for that platform, right? Yeah. Whereas even what gets posted on Instagram has changed since I started because the algorithm has changed so much. Yeah. We used to put, you know, first period, second period, third period, uh, and final score graphics. But now, because the algorithm's so different, all we put up is the final score. Because what you would end up having is a fan would wake up in the morning after we played a game and see, you know, the first period recap, which isn't, at that point, doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. You, you have a final score graphic that can tell you pretty much everything you need to know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just seeing how that's all kind of changed is is crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we'll have to do a round two of just social media. Oh, for we sure. could dive deep into <laughs> many rabbit holes, Real deep. especially across all the different platforms. Mm-hmm. So you have kind of landed a really unique position. Yeah. Uh, we'll switch gears a little bit here. Sure. Cause I know you're pressed for time. Yeah, it's all good. Um, so you landed a unique position in the sense that you actually get to travel with the team because there's yeah. a number of positions that I'm sure are just housed in Winnipeg yeah. and you stay put. Yeah. So what's it like traveling across North America it's, with an NHL franchise? It's cool. Um, it's cool just mainly because I think you get an appreciation for uh, how quickly everything happens. So one of the first things that, that caught my mind, caught my eye, uh, my first road trip was in Chicago and I think it was only a couple of days after I started, um, wow. was how, yeah, I, I jumped right. <laughs> Welcome on board. I co- yeah. I covered a game on the second and then I think we traveled on the third and played in Chicago on the fourth. Like it was, yeah. You jump right into the meat of the NHL schedule. Yeah. Um, the first thing that caught my eye and, and it's usually the first thing I tell everybody about is how quickly people move post game when you're on the road. It is crazy. So for me, what happens is uh, usually with a few minutes left, I come down from the press box and uh, kind of wait outside the room, watch the end of the game on the mini monitors that are down there. Hmm. And uh, buzzer goes, 
players come in, I believe the NHL mandates the doors to the room have to be open to the media within five minutes of that final buzzer. By the time we walk in there, there's a, there's a time that's written on the whiteboard, and that's when the buses are leaving. And it's usually about 35 to 40 minutes after that buzzer. So in that amount of time, what usually happens is we get about three interviews done. We get Paul Maurice does his coach's availability. And then we might have enough time, or sorry, we after we do coach, we run out to either the bench or somewhere, just do a quick post-game video wrap-up report. And then... By the time we're done all that, we might have some. We might have enough time to transfer the footage from the camera into the laptop, and so then that time hits. Get on the bus, and then you're on the way to the airport. While that's happening, while we're doing all that, the trainers are packing up everything, whether it's a whether it's gear, skate sharpeners, all that stuff. They do some of it during the game, but the end is just an absolute, like, everybody just get out of the way because <laughs> yeah. they got so much stuff to move and uh, get looked over by whether it's airport personnel, all that kind of stuff before we go on to the next city. So everybody kind of does their best to stay out of the trainer's way because they know that is the most stressful time of, time of night for them. Yeah. And then um, after we shoot our, our report, uh, we, we get on our bus and myself and whether it's Tyler or Daniel uh, or Jamie, if he's in my spot at that time, uh, basically at that point, you're writing, I'm writing my postgame report. The uh, Tyler and Daniel are editing the, the video and putting it up and trying to get it to John as fastly as, as quickly as possible. And then after all that is done, it's just compile it all on the website, make sure it's easy to find for fans. And you want to have that done before the plane's in the air, roughly about between four hours, four hours and 15 minutes after the game starts. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's like the part that is, it's the most fun because you know, you're really challenging yourself. And that, that is like the, one of the most exhilarating parts of what I do because you know that, you know, there's fans that want to see this stuff, right? So you're, you're hammering it away. And, and a lot of times on the road, outside of like the broadcast cameras that, that TSN will have at the game, we're the only ones shooting it. So it's like, we, we got to get that stuff up real fast because we want, A, the engagement on it to be good. And B, you know, you want you want the fans to almost develop that expectation that, you know, no matter where the, where the team is, these interviews are coming. Yeah. That's the, that's the kind of... Uh, Standard, I guess we, we kind of hold ourselves to is we we want to get that. We have our our fake deadline, quote unquote, is four hours after puck drop to have everything up. Um, do we hit it all the time? We come close. Uh, the only thing that has changed a little bit over the years is we used to do the handle the uploads to our site and then we would click a button and it would be published and there'd be a link available. Uh, what happens now is we upload all of our video uh, to kind of like a portal and that gets sent over to people in Newark, New Jersey. And then what they do is they take that video that's rendered out to a certain spec, mm-hmm. whether, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know exactly how all that is. But what they do then is they take that video, render it out a bunch of more times into so it fits your phone or your laptop or if you're putting it on Apple TV or if, no matter how you're watching it, mm-hmm. the video will be as good a quality as they can get. Mm. 
and then and there won't be as much buffering or anything like that because it's not trying to upload a you know a bigger file and then after all that's done um, they send us a link so that you know we can put it on the site and people can watch it from our video player so that that part of the process is kind of out of our control because we don't know like because they could have 15 games going on one night and they're getting bombarded with a bunch of videos so we we try to take it easy on them because i can only imagine what that's like yeah um so yeah that that part of it is why i say sometimes we make that four-hour deadline sometimes we don't but yeah that's the main thing i always talk to people about with with the travel part of it is uh is post game and on a completely separate note the one thing that'll always that always gets to me uh is you sometimes hear Paul Maurice talk about time zones and how many time zones they've been in. I understand that, yeah, the you know the the, the biggest time zone jump we go to is two hours, so that's to Vancouver, mm-hmm. um, or California or anything like that. But it's the the hardest part for a team that's a kind of in the in the central, mm-hmm. which the Winnipeg Jets are, is bouncing. So you go say you go to the east. Mm-hmm back home to Vancouver so you're two hours behind to mountain time so now you're in Calgary back to mountain or sorry back to Pacific back to central and like you're just kind of bouncing over the course of like six seven weeks yeah that's that's when it really starts to catch up to you you get a little bit fatigued because a lot of the travel comes after games right so you're usually not getting into your hotel to 1 o'clock yeah um but that's why there are some mornings that I wake up and I'm just like I'm really tired. I'm glad I don't have to play a hockey game tonight. Yeah. And then the team will go on the ice and they'll get the job done and win the, win the hockey game. So yeah. uh, kudos to them because there, there are some days I'm in the press box and I'm, I'm feeling pretty tired because of it. But, I mean, that's why they're the best athletes in the world. They figure out how to get it done. Yeah, yeah. And what's been some of the favorite uh, cities that you've traveled to? Um, <laughs> the funny part about... Uh, the cities that we go to uh, is a lot of times you're, you're seeing hotel rank airport. <laughs> so I remember my wife, my wife was going down to Boston one time and she said, Hey, like what, like what are some things to do there? I was like, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> so it, it kind of depends on the schedule, whether you have uh, a lot of time to kind of hang out and whether it's go for dinner somewhere neat or, or go sightseeing. Um, so, but just based on uh, some of the experiences that uh, that I've had, um, I really like I really like New York, mm-hmm. just because of the fact that it's got New York and LA kind of have this this feel of quote unquote big city. You know, you're you're kind of you know anytime that the Jets play the Rangers and we're in Madison Square Garden, like that is it feels pretty neat. Like yeah. just because you know the history of the building, the history of kind of what's gone on there. LA kind of kind of very similar. It's got that that very Hollywood feel. Anytime you go to Staples Center, you, you see the banners from the the LA Lakers and and the Kings, and it's just it, it's got that big city feel. Um, I've always the Jets have kind of developed a bit of a rivalry with Nashville over the last couple of seasons, and so I, I really like going there mm-hmm. just because their their fans are are quite rabid as mm-hmm. well. So. Um, and also, they've got a they've got a street. If anybody's curious about what Nashville is like, and 
uh, wants to check it out because people are talking about it. Mm-hmm. They've got a street called Broadway where the rink is kind of at the end of the street. And then for about three blocks leading up to the rink, they've got, you know, like bars and restaurants with live bands and all that kind of stuff. That's the street that during uh, the year that Nashville went to the Stanley Cup final, I believe in 2016, got shut down and they just had fans covering it. Um, yeah, so that was kind of their version of uh, the White Oat and the White Oat Street Party and stuff like that. Everybody was pretty much in yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nashville is a Nashville's a good town just to go and experience kind of how they uh, enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the first things that like kind of pops into mind is Vegas, but um, it's interesting because Vegas was exciting to me for reasons that I don't think would be cliche because I remember when we went there in November for the first time and it was just kind of like, okay, well let's, let's kind of see, you know, how they've embraced this or whatever. And their crowd's great. Like their game production is very different than ours. Uh, whether it's, you know, movie clips or the game presentation, uh, in terms of uh, how they do their pregame, they have a, a night that comes on the ice and it's almost like a live action role play type deal. But it's good. It, get, it gets the crowd into it. And that's the kind of stuff that you, that you have to do in Vegas to, to get that kind, of, uh, that kind of attendance. And I mean, we played them in the, the playoffs in 2018 and it was great there too. Like their fans are really into it. And it, so it's been a pleasant surprise to kind of see how jacked up the fans in Vegas are for their team. So yeah. I do have to give them kudos for that. That being said... They eliminated us last year, so I did. I didn't mind beating them four-one earlier this year. It doesn't erase it, but it's, for some reason, it just feels good. And I wasn't even on the ice. So. Yeah. Well, it makes it even from a spectator watching the games at home enjoyable to see what they're doing. You you yeah. get to enjoy a show, even yeah. you know watching it in your living room at home. And I think yeah. it probably has. I'm sure maybe spark some ideas with other NHL teams oh, on sure. how to provide that experience, how to add yeah. that other element of uh, yeah. just even, watching a game. Even things like the on-ice projection screens, like it's that's that's basically where they they project an image. It's like 3D onto the onto the ice surface, and it's almost the ice surface almost becomes one big movie screen. Yeah, and they're playing video off of it and everything. That started out like one rink tried it, and now you go to, I, I don't want to say it's probably less than half, but there's a fair amount of rinks now that have it. Yeah. And it's really cool, and you could, it's been interesting to see kind of how, how it's evolved. Some rinks will play the movie on the, on the ice and have nothing on their uh, kind of center-hung scoreboard, and they'll stop the projection on the ice and they'll put it on the scoreboard just so that you're focusing where you should be focusing. Yeah. Uh, so that you know, you're not missing anything if you're looking at one different direction. So yeah, like I said, it's been cool to kind of see it all evolve. Um, and I, I'm curious, honestly, to see what the next step is Yeah, in, in that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that four hour quote unquote goal that you guys have to have everything wrapped up from yeah. the time that the puck drops. Yeah. That's, that's a crazy timeline. And I think of pre-social media and yeah. the amount of work, no doubt it was still a lot of work to put on and showcase a, a, 
a hockey game yeah. across the country. Yeah. But to add all these elements of social media yes. um, to it is just something that I think the ones that thrive really grasp and understand the importance of it and really want to devote a lot of time and effort into it because it's just you're you're broadening your reach right yeah and and that was one of the big reasons i think behind our team going from two people to four yeah was just because yeah we wanted to do these pre and post game shows but you know kudos to the to the organization for realizing that if we're going to do this we're going to do it right yeah we're not going to you know try to force you know, force the the group to do it with less than what would be required. So I know a lot of research went into it and um, that, and for good reason, because I talked a little bit about on top of that four hour deadline is you want to develop the expectation yeah. so that fans know that, you know, it's an hour before a home game. I know that this pregame show is going to be on and I know I'm going to learn something from it or I'm going to, I know what I know what I'm going to get. Yeah. And some fans like really like it. And I know we we kind of changed it a little bit uh, for the playoffs last year because we figured, you know what? The fans are probably going to be pretty into this. So what we ended up doing was we moved it from an hour before the game to during all the morning skates. So before, say, a seven o'clock game, the home team will skate at 1030 for about it's honestly about 20 minutes, 25 minutes for a lot of guys. It's just going out there. If they've got a nagging injury to see if they're good to go. But for the majority, it's just to get a feel for the puck that day. And Mm -hmm. just because these guys are so fine tuned, um, just to get an idea of how they're feeling. And then they're off the ice. Visiting team comes on at 1130. Same deal. Uh, after every skate, there's media availability, coach availability. So what, what we ended up doing was we went live starting about five minutes before the Jets morning skate at 1030 and then just ran the thing constantly for two hours. Mm-hmm. And so you could kind of have a look in at the morning skate. Jamie Thomas would be hosting and uh, he'd have a couple of guests on, whether it's uh, visiting media or visiting national media, which becomes a big thing during the playoffs. Um, and then we kind of run through the player interviews whenever they came available. Like, and so it was just a constant kind of feed. And fans could check in whenever they wanted to. And we found those those shows did extremely well mm-hmm. just because, you know, some people maybe are busy between 10 and 11, mm-hmm. whether they're in a meeting or something, or they got 10 minutes when they get out of that meeting or, or whether it's during their lunch hour to kind of sit down and take a look. Well, everything's archived. You're able to kind of go back, watch it through or get to the parts that you want to see and away you go. Mm-hmm. So even within the expectation that we're trying to create or the, the routine quote unquote that we're trying to get fans into the beautiful, the beautiful part about social media and digital is that you're not tied down to a TV guide or anything like that. You're able to, you know, you're able to make adjustments like we did uh, during the playoffs last year. And it really pays off sometimes for sure. And without, um, getting in trouble. Can you, <laughs> I would never get in trouble. <laughs> uh, can you share any behind the scenes stories or experiences um, that, that pop out of just being on the road or just even being here? The one thing that I, that I will say is uh, in terms of like being around the players and stuff like that, they, uh, 
the guy the guys we have on our team are all great mm-hmm. like it's it's interesting to kind of see like i remember i got married in august of uh, 2015 and uh, so i think it was early on that season my would have been september or october and i just happened to run into buff in the hallway and he was just like hey how's your summer and all that kind of stuff and then he just kind of said you got married didn't you and I was just like, how'd you, he's like, you have a ring on your finger. <laughs> I was just like, oh yeah, I guess. But yeah, that's just kind of like, that's just the kind of guys that there are, right? So uh, a guy like Adam Lowry will ask kind of what Netflix show you're into. Like they're, they're just all like really good guys that, you know, yeah, we, we both kind of realize that, or they realize that I've got a job to do and asking them questions and stuff like that. But at the same time, they you know, they, they've, I think, value the, the relationship that they have with us and, and everything. So it's not like there's like any wild stories from the road or anything there. There just aren't. <laughs> I know sometimes people ask me about it and I'm just like, it's not really that, that crazy. Um, they're there to work. At the yeah. End of the day, and that, right? That's exactly it. And yeah. you know, if their performance isn't up to par, they hear about it. And so, yeah, they, uh, they're, it's a great group that we have. And a lot of guys that, you know, you could see why that dressing room is so close. The times that we're in there doing media, I mean, there's been a bunch of times where uh, even talking to, say, Patrick Line, he's doing a media scrum with a bunch of reporters. You'll hear Nikolai Ehlers chirping him from the from the corner. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that kind of and Patrick is just so comfortable with the media. He'll turn and chirp Ehlers back and away they go. He'll just keep doing his thing. So, yeah. Um, it's really cool to kind of see that little bit of like relationship that the players have with each other because in the end, like, yeah, you have this group in the dressing room and you're trying to win a Stanley Cup together. You're going to go through some, some ups and downs in the season. And the closer you are as a group, the easier those ups and downs are going to be. For sure. Absolutely. And speaking of line eight, is, am yeah. I saying that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, you got the opportunity to travel over the summer. Yes. And can you just yeah. share with us about um, what that experience was like? Yeah. So with unique. the Jets uh, earlier this season, uh, we play, we were part of the NHL's global series. So they pick a few teams every year to play in some different spots overseas. Uh, so with Patrick line being from Finland uh, and being a significant star there, uh, we were selected along with Florida to play in Helsinki on uh, November 1st and 2nd, uh, which was really cool. Uh, and it was cool to be there for, the, for those couple of games. But so just to kind of get ahead of it, instead of trying to cram a bunch of stuff into a few days while we were there, uh, myself and Tyler and uh, one of our communications guys uh, headed out to Helsinki in August uh, during the summer there. So what we did was we got there and hung out with, uh, first day we were there, we just kind of did a bunch of scenic shots and stuff just so that we had some video of Helsinki and and the rink that we were going to be playing in and all that. Um, then the second day we hung out with, uh, Christian Besselainen, who we chose in the, oh boy, 20, I want to say 2017. Yeah. 2017 draft. Uh, who's also from Finland. Uh, so he just he kind of took us around Helsinki to his favorite spots, favorite lunch spots, um, where he kind of played outdoor hockey, outdoor soccer. Uh, so that was really cool because he's in front of camera. He's a really kind of like quiet, confident guy, but 
when you get him just kind of talking and everything like that and, and in Helsinki in his hometown where he feels really comfortable and all that he was uh, he was great and I think it really showcased kind of the personality that he has um, the next day uh, we were on our way to a place called Turku which is a couple hours outside of uh, of Helsinki but we stopped about an hour out uh, at a rink that uh, Timu Solani was hanging around at uh, yeah we talked to his agent a little bit we were just like so what are the odds we could get a quick chat with him and he's just like yeah of course <laughs> we're like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> let me get my camera ready. yeah so we uh, yeah like we had kind of set it up but it was going to just kind of depend on how the timing worked out that day and because uh, Timo had a number of things going on as he always does and uh, I remember finishing the interview with him and we were just kind of packing up and uh, I asked him, so like, what, what else do you got going on today? He's like, well, I might go out on my boat. It's a nice day. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he's just, he's always got something going on. But it, what other, the other thing that sits with me too, from that experience was afterwards, he's just sitting in the cafeteria in the rink, like having a bowl of soup and people are just leaving him alone. You know what I mean? So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, just letting him kind of have have his lunch without bombarding him. Yeah. Uh, then the next day was when we met up with Patrick. Yeah. Uh, at his training facility, and uh, that he works out at. A number of NHL players work out there, so we kind of took video of him working out. And then later that night, in a place called Rama, Finland, which was another hour or so away, uh, he was playing as part of a kind of a. Finnish league alumni all-star game. Mm. So we went there and actually, oh, the people. There was Pat. So Patrick was there. There's Timo Solani was playing. A number of former Jets like Teppo Newman were playing. Uh, even more other current players uh, like Alexander Barkov played for the Panthers, who the Jets played in November. He was the other big celebrity that weekend. And uh, Miko Koivu from the Minnesota Wild. Like it was just a who's who of Finnish hockey players. It was really neat. Wow. And just to see how different it is to watch a game there, like uh, the, the crowds were going nuts. And then that was when we really got to kind of see how big of a deal Patrick is there. He got off the ice and was walking down the tunnel toward the dressing room. And there are kids and people just hanging over trying to get autographs from him and good on him. Him and Timu stood out there for, it had to have been 15, 20 minutes, just kind of going around the tunnel, signing whatever they could. And they were really good with their time. And then, yeah, so after that was all done, the next day we uh, we hopped on a plane and came home. So wow. it was a really cool experience just to be able to see Finland. And then that way, when we got there in November, we were pretty comfortable with where we were at. Yeah, for sure. What a great experience. It was neat. Yeah, like I'd never been overseas before. So yeah. uh, that was going to be uh, a first for me. And we learned that a lot of the uh, Finnish schools in the southern part of the country, I guess, uh, teach English. Like the, the kids, there learn English. So mm. that's why guys like Patrick and uh, a number of other Finnish players come over and they've, they've got a pretty good grasp on the English language. But in the northern side of it, it's not as common. Mm. So we have uh, one player, uh, Sami Niku, uh, who we drafted a few years ago, that is learning English and is doing a fantastic job at it because I, I I don't know how well I could learn a second language so for him to learn something like English which 
is not an easy language to learn, whether it's verb tense or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's doing a really good job at it and is confident enough now to do an interview in front of camera and stuff, which is, I can't even imagine what that's like. And even playing the sport with people that yeah. don't speak the same language. Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah. You can call for the puck in any language just by yelling, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, when you're trying to talk strategy, yeah, it can be, it can be really tough. So yeah, I always say good on players that, that kind of come over to North America, regardless of where they're from, because uh, learning a second language is hard. And actually, when we drafted Nikolai Ehlers in 2014, uh, he's from Denmark. And I learned he knows five languages. Holy. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, I think he knows a bit of, he knows French, English, obviously. Uh, there's a couple other ones in there too. Like he, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I always like have an incredible appreciation for people that, you know, I have learned a second language or have moved and were forced to learn a second language. Like it is, it is so difficult to do. So, I mean, shout out to everybody that's been able to do that. (laughs) Yeah. For two and let alone five. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's a huge achievement. (laughs) Right on. So just a couple more questions and we'll, we'll wrap up. Um, so switching gears to what you guys are working on now, yeah. uh, talking about different mediums, growing platforms on social media, et cetera. So another one is yeah. what we're doing right now, podcasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell us about the podcast that you are a part of. Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. There you go. Uh, yeah, it's something that I think we've been interested in doing uh, for a couple years, but growing from two to four has made it a little bit more possible. Uh, we spent last season focused mostly on making sure the pre and post game shows were, were good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, so this year we're like, okay, we're, we feel confident with where those are at. Let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's add in the, the podcasting side of things. So we did all the background research on where we wanted to post it and everything and what kind of infrastructure we needed in place or what, what details we needed to, to figure out to get it where we wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at that point, it was just figuring out a format. So usually for us, it's just we talk Jets for the first 10 minutes or so. And then we have a, a feature interview, which can either be with one of our players. We've had both uh, Adam Lowry and Mark Shifley on it. Mm-hmm. Or it's media members. Or it's uh, even a guy like Claude Lemieux, who never played for the Jets, but is a dad of uh, Brendan Lemieux who does play for the Jets and he was on uh, he, we just happened to be around him at one point we just said hey like would you would you want to do a quick 15 minute chat and he's like yeah absolutely so Thanks. he sat down and he's he talked about his career uh, he won four Stanley Cups so he's had quite a career wow. um, and he also has now become a player agent which is something that he said he was kind of always interested in Uh he actually represents his son, so that's a, an interesting dynamic. Then we just talked to him as a hockey dad, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, being able to see his son, like, because he he had his dad kind of, or he had Brandon in the dressing rooms when he was a young kid, like just around the NHL. And he said, so it's it's been really kind of flattering to see that this was something that he wanted to pursue, and he was able to get to that level. So yeah, we talk about a whole wide range of things on on the podcast, which. It's awesome because I mentioned we have uh, we had Lowry and Shifley on two yeah. two guys that are under twenty five if memory serves, um, and then it's been, it's 
it's neat to see how just kind of laid back they are and that kind of stuff. It's it's a it's a it's a platform that we can talk about hockey as much as they want, but we can also talk about anything else. Yeah. So like Adam Lowry talks a lot about fantasy football and the league that they have in the room and how 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 just how much they chirp each other over it. Yeah. And uh, Mark Shifley talked a lot about his Netflix uh, stuff and how he was learning tennis, how he and uh, another player on the team are trying to learn how to play drums. And like, it's just, you get a really good idea of who these people are just because you have the time and it's, it's just a a lot more conversational sometimes I find. What uh, made you guys want to get into podcasting? What was the initial like? I think it's just another way for fans to, to consume content. Like, yeah, it's, it's another way for either them to learn about the personalities of the players. Like I just mentioned, or, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just a different, like I said, it's just a different way for fans to enjoy what we do. Mm-hmm. And it helps us kind of bring attention to, to what we do as well. Cause a lot of times, like we did a, a holiday video this year where, um, you know, we had this minor hockey team come in and practice at Bell MTS place. They'd had a little bit of adversity at the start of the year in terms of one player getting hurt and stuff like that. So we just said, well, come on, come and have a practice at our rink. We'll give you some, some swag and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. we ended up having a little bit more of a surprise for them with Patrick Line showing up and skate with them for a little while. So, yeah, just videos like that. We could we talk a little bit about kind of the behind the scenes of it and yeah. what kind of things that you know maybe didn't get in the video, but were really cool to see. So, mm-hmm. uh, just a way to kind of get a little bit more of a behind the scenes look and then get to know the players as well. And you guys record it at... Yeah, it's at work. Uh, In the office, uh, we recorded one in our hotel room in Finland. Oh, nice. Basically, wherever people are at the time, where we try to figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, and what kind of mic or mics and like you talk about the equipment because I want to share everyone mic. Yeah, it depends. Uh, We have, I wouldn't be able to name the exact mics, Uh they're pretty standard handheld though that much I do know yeah um, but it also our equipment and setup also depends where we're at right so our laptops have uh, the Adobe suite on it so a lot of it is done through audition yeah uh, then we have a soundboard as well that happened to be like I think game production used it at one point but then they kind of did some renovations and didn't need it anymore so we're just like well maybe it'll work and it did so we, we have a soundboard that the four mics will plug into and then the soundboard goes into the laptop. And uh, But if we're on the road mm-hmm. and we have two people, so similar to the uh, Claude Lemieux interview that I was just talking about, we did that in the rink in Dallas about a week, a week or so ago. Yeah, And all that was was two mics plugged into the camera because that's as much as one camera can take is is two mic inputs and then we just hit record on the camera and so the camera video wise was shooting i think the back of a chair but the video didn't matter we just needed the audio right so we we had a nice 15 minute clip where you just take the video out and you got your audio so Uh, okay yeah yeah so we've done it a couple of different ways we've done we've we've had to do a couple over the phone so we're, I think that's kind of what we're experimenting with right now is figuring out what kind of recording works best. 
for audio quality. FaceTime audio, I think so far is winning, but we're still kind of experimenting at this point. Over what? What else did you try? Uh, just like, I think pretty general uh, apps. I, I don't remember the name of it off my fo- off my off the top of my head. Skype? Did you guys ever try? No, Skype? we haven't tried Skype yet. That's I think yeah. that's the next test. Yeah. Whenever we need to do another phone one, so yeah, we'll see. That might be the next one. Yeah. Yeah, and for those wondering, because I've had a number of people ask me, how do you do a podcast? How does it work? So right now, we're just sitting in my basement, and there's my MacBook Air laptop, and we're recording off of um, GarageBand, and there's a USB plugged into the Blue Yeti microphone, and I got a pop filter over top of the microphone and that's it it's very bare bones and i have the setting on the mic to uh, bi-directional and mitch and i are just sitting across from one another so it's very bare bones setup i'd like to get eventually two mics but i know once you get into two mics i'm sure you have to get a mixer yeah and then you can just kind of build it from there so i'm yeah. trying to keep it very <laughs> yeah no and I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing how how it continues to build because yeah yeah it's just it's one of those things like where you so my wife and I are kind of this completely unrelated my (laughs) wife and I are like uh we're really into like smart home stuff but we found once you get one thing (laughs) it's just like it keeps on building it's like oh man it's so cool having our lights be able to do that we should do that in every room and then it just you know what I mean so it'll start the same thing with podcasting it'll be You'll get the other mic to be like, oh, yeah, I really like that. Maybe I could build on to this. <laughs> and it just keeps going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, one last question. Sure. And then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, where do you see the, the NHL heading in, in the future? And maybe you can build on it and talk about things that you, you the direction or things yeah. that you like and things that you'd like maybe to see corrected. That's an interesting question because, uh, I mean, social media, I think, is going to continue to to build and build and build. I think the, the thing that I'm going to be most curious in uh, is how, how different the contracts are for things like national broadcasting rights or anything like that. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm a genius in terms of how all that works because I'm definitely not. But just with the rise of digital, uh, I, I'm curious to see how sports networks, regardless of who it is, build some sort of digital content plan or digital rights or something like that into the contract. I'm just that, that, that part of it, just because when, when the last national rights deal was done, and even the one before that, obviously, um, digital was still kind of it was a thing, but it wasn't, it's nowhere near where it is now. So that's, that's probably going to be the part that I'm most curious about, whether it's, you know, if, if, if a station is kind of hampered by, well, we can't maybe guarantee to have a postgame show this long or whatever it may be, maybe they could say, but, you know, we do have this massive footprint online. Like, I, I don't know, maybe that's where it goes, but that, that's kind of what I'm, curious about because mm-hmm. I do think that that's the next step and you see a bunch of stations whether it's TSN, Sportsnet anything that now have these streaming services and uh, ways to 
to access content online. I'm just really curious to see if that plays a, a bigger role in kind of the next big uh, negotiating deal. And I think TSN is also owned by Disney, if I'm not mistaken. That one I'd really have to look into. I, I always I always know them as Bell Media, and that is the main thing for me. But that's yeah, I could, could I could be wrong. I looked at a infographic of what Disney owns oh, okay. recently, and I think TSN fell under that behemoth of an infographic <laughs> because Disney owns yeah, everything, pretty much. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I. Like I said, I, I don't know nearly enough about the ins and outs of how all that stuff comes together, but I'll be very curious to see. Yeah. And uh, in terms of, I guess we'll just end on uh, what you're hoping for in this season and, and coming up. And, and you can talk about anything yeah. else that you're interested in Yeah, I mean, in well. one of the most exciting parts about, about last season was the playoffs. And getting as far as we did, there's never a guarantee that you're going to, A, make that make the playoffs again in the next year or for that matter get as far as as we ended up getting into the the semifinal basically um i mean you look at a team like nashville who went all the way to the stanley cup final and then you know a couple years later they lose in game seven to us in the second round like the so no matter how good of a team you are sometimes it just comes down to how good are you on one particular night and that could dictate your whole season so um I'm embr- I'm trying I'm doing my best to kind of embrace the the journey itself because you know otherwise you're just you're you're letting kind of the present day go by you and that's never a good way to to handle things. So that being said, should things continue the way that they are in the regular season and the Jets are back in the playoffs, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um because like like we've kind of talked about there's just no atmosphere like it. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine how difficult it was for the players at the start of the year to kind of get amped up to try to, I mean, you got, cause you got to earn your spot again. Like mm. you're starting back from preseason game number one after uh, being in the Western conference finals. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. And then just, you know, even just statistically from a digital standpoint, we've been kind of keeping an eye on how things are progressing throughout the year and our, our video views are kind of hovering right around the same as last year, so that's good. And I know when the playoffs came, there was a big spike. Um, so fingers crossed for that again. And uh, just continued growth overall. Like I, I like to continue to see us develop the pre- and post-game shows even further. And uh, one thing that's kind of been exciting for us so far is we've the last three-ish years or so, we've really worked hard to develop the the written side of our site of our site, mm-hmm. um, whether it's through profiles or articles or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing a, a lot of increases in in article reads this year. So, mm-hmm. fingers crossed that that continues. So, hoping for a lot of things, and yeah. then you know maybe the the ultimate prize at the end of June would be awesome too. But yeah. Long way to go there. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. So thank you very much for taking the time to yeah, come down course. here. I know my basement's a little chilly. We're, we're getting a little bit cold here. Oh, so. wait. Not a problem. <laughs> I'm good. I, I'm in hockey rinks all the time, so this is nothing. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Mitch. Anytime, Dean. All right. Take care. Hi, guys. Dean again. Just a couple things before I take off. First, thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review. 
on whichever platform you're currently listening on. This podcast can be found on Apple, Google, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Anchor.fm, Breaker, Radio Public, CastBox, and I also uploaded it to my YouTube channel. So feel free to go and leave a review on whichever platform you are listening on. And if you want to leave any feedback, feel free to do so in the review, but also head over to www.simpletounderstand.com and leave a comment in the comment section at the bottom of each episode where you can also find the show notes. So feel free to head over there or on our YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, and uh, check it out. So thanks very much for your time and have yourself a great day. And until next time, take care.